If you would please turn this morning to our passage, Psalm 1, 1 through 18. As we begin our journey through the Gospel of John, I can't think of a more appropriate song to sing before starting the Gospel of John. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. That is what the hymn calls us to do. That is what John is seeking to do in the Gospel. Is this me here? Okay. Um, We good? Hopefully that stops. John's Gospel is focused primarily and entirely like a laser beam on one person, and that is Jesus. In fact, John tells us in his Gospel, in John 20, verse 31, his whole purpose for writing. And there he tells us that he has written this Gospel that we're going to begin our journey through for a purpose, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and not just so that you'd file it away in your brain as an interesting fact about Jesus or a set of stories about Jesus, but that by believing in Jesus, you may have life in his name. So John, in this gospel that we're going to explore this fall and part of next spring, is focused like a laser beam on Jesus, because he knows that it is only through Jesus, through believing in Jesus and believing rightly in Jesus, that we will find life. His desire is that we would know Jesus, that we would have life through Him, and that we would not be lost in darkness and death. And so my hope is that as we spend time together in John's Gospel, that we who already know Jesus will see Him more clearly, will see Him for who He is, and will love Him more as a result. And that for those of you here who do not yet know Jesus, that if you join us on this journey that you will also see Jesus more clearly and that you will trust in Him by faith and that you too may have life. Now, since John is focused on Jesus, since that is the focus of this entire book, it is not surprising that our passage this morning, John 1, 1-18, is focused like a laser beam on who Jesus is. It is focused on Jesus' identity as the Word who took on flesh. And so as we read this section, we will see that John calls us to believe in the Word. So would you please stand, if you're able, for the reading of John 1. It will actually be John 1, 1 through 1-18, as is on the screen. John writes this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He, John, was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, 
nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after Me ranks before Me, because He was before Me. For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. This is God's Word. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Father, give me the grace to shed light on the beautiful, glorious truths in this passage. There is so much here, and I need your help. So would you speak by your Spirit? This morning we begin where John begins with a prologue. John's Gospel is focused on Jesus and on his, early, uh, on his earthly ministry. And yet John does not begin with Jesus' arrival in Israel 2,000 years ago. He begins far before it. He begins in the beginning. Because John knows that if we are to know who Jesus is truly, we need to know who the Word is. And that is who John is focused on this whole passage. He's focused on one person, the Word. And as we'll see, he makes clear to us that Jesus is this Word made flesh. The first thing we see is that John calls us to believe in the Word and shows us that we are to believe in the Word who is divine, who is no less than God, the Word who brings us life. He shows us this in verses 1-5. through And we need to see this because if we believe wrongly about Jesus, we are headed to death. But if we believe in Jesus for who He is, we find life. John wants us to know these things not as some sort of academic exercise we do in our head or we sit through in church. He wants us to know these things because it is a matter of life and death, light and darkness, glory or ruin. And so John begins by pointing us to the Word who is God, the Word who brings life. Verse 1, he begins, In the beginning was the Word. Not in the beginning the Word was created. Not in the beginning the Word was made. No, he says, in the beginning was the Word. This is not an origin story. An origin story for a superhero or someone begins with the beginning of that superhero or that great figure. Here we are not at the beginning of the Word. The Word, He was eternal. He had no beginning. He has no end. Simply in the beginning, He was. John here is intentionally drawing on language from the Old Testament, from Genesis 1.1, the first verse in the Bible where we read, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In Genesis 1.1, God does not begin at the beginning of time. God simply is, and so He creates. And the same is true of the Word here in John 1.1. It is not saying, In the beginning, the Word came into being. He is saying, in the beginning, the Word was. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, the Word. The Word has no beginning. The Word has no end. 
but the Word was in the beginning. John goes on to tell us that this Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So we see John show us in the second line of verse 1 that the Word was with God. He repeats it again in verse 2. He was in the beginning with God. There is relationship here in the beginning. And yet, if we just had those verses and we didn't have the closing line of verse 1, we might think that this Word was a being apart from God. Perhaps a being created by God. Perhaps a being that existed alongside God in relationship with God, but separate from God. John does not teach that. He, as if to forestall that exact line of thought, makes clear, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. John wants us to see that the Word was God. The Word was not a created being. The Word was not a dependent being. The Word was God. Now there are some throughout the history of the church who have denied this truth and have been rightly held outside of the Christian faith. There are some in our town who would reject John's teaching that the Word was God. Jehovah's Witnesses down by Fall River County Medical, or the Jehovah's Wit, or the Mormons down the street. They would say that Jesus was not God, that he was a created being, or he was a second God alongside of God. But that is not what John teaches. The Greek grammar is clear that he is saying that the Word was God, and not a God alongside of God, that the Word was God. Now, I know some of you have friends who are part of those groups. And I'm not going to get into all the grammar here because that would bore you to tears. But I'm happy to talk with you after the service if you have questions about how to answer some of their objections. But the truth is here that the Word was God. And it's not just here in John 1.1 that John teaches this. We'll see it as we go through the Gospel of John again and again and again that the Word was God. And that the Word took on flesh that He was known to us as Jesus Christ, and that while He walked the earth, the Word made flesh claimed again and again and again to be God. A few examples in John's Gospel that we'll see in the Old Testament, when God revealed Himself to Moses in Exodus, He revealed Himself by the name, I am who I am. I am the I am. And as we'll see in John's Gospel, Jesus, the Word made flesh, will repeatedly refer to Himself with I am language. He'll say, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the Good Shepherd. I am the bread of life. I am the living water. When He's arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, He refers to Himself as I am. And they fall at His feet as though dead. He tells his opponents, before Abraham was, I am. And they see exactly that he's claiming to be God. And we know that because they pick up stones to stone him because they think he's committing blasphemy. And at the end of John's Gospel, after Jesus appears in his resurrection body and Thomas the skeptic puts his fingers in the hands of the Word made flesh, his confession is not, 
my Lord and the created being alongside of God. His confession is my Lord and my God. And Jesus says, you got it right, Thomas. So the Scriptures in John 1.1 and throughout the whole of John's Gospel teach clearly through Jesus' words, through the response that Jesus gets, that Jesus, the Word made flesh, was God. Nothing less. And to believe less of Jesus, to believe that He is anything less than God, is to fall short of what the Scriptures teach, to fall short of what the Gospel of John teaches, to believe in someone other than the true Jesus. So we need to see that the Word is divine. The Word was God. And yet, what do we do with this language of the Word who was God being with God? What do we do with that? Seems sort of confusing. How can we be, how can he be God and also be with God? Well, frequently in John's Gospel and elsewhere through the New Testament, we'll see that the word God can refer to God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It can also refer to persons of the Trinity who, like the Father or the Spirit. And here in verses like John 1 1, we see the verses that led the church to rightly understand the scriptures to teach the truth of the Trinity. That we believe in one God and only one God. We are monotheists. We don't believe there are three gods. We don't believe the Father and the Son or the Word as John refers to Him and the Holy Spirit are three separate gods. We believe there is one God. And yet we believe that this one God is one God in three persons. Father, Son, or Word as John refers to Him, and the Holy Spirit. Three persons in one substance who in the divine Godhead share relationship. And so we can say that the Word was with the Father and the Spirit in the beginning, and yet they were not separate gods. They are one God. There is one God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Father, Word, Holy Spirit. One God in three persons. That is why we in our statement of faith here at Chef teach that We believe there is one God eternally existing in a loving unity of three equally divine persons, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We believe in one God, in three persons. The three persons were in loving relationship from the beginning in the triune Godhead. This is a truth that flows out of the Scriptures, out of passages like John 1.1, out of Matthew 28, out of many passages. It is a thoroughly biblical doctrine. and It is something that the church has confessed for thousands of years. And something we too must confess. So we must believe that the Word is the divine Word, but also that He is the life-giving Word. Both physical life and spiritual life. We see this in the creation language. We've seen that John already references it in John 1.1 where he references Genesis 1.1 within the beginning. But then we go on to read, verse 3, that all things were made through Him. That is, through the Word. Notice he doesn't say all things were made through it, as though the Word were an impersonal force, like the force in Star Wars. The, the Word is a person. And all things that were made were made through Him. And verse 3, without Him was not anything made that was made. John says that all of creation owes its existence to the creating work of God and that we all have our creation through the Word. 
We were created through the Word. And apart from the Word, nothing was made. John says not a single thing was made that was made. So we see that we all owe our very physical life to the Word Himself. And it's also worth noting that the Word here is not part of that which was made. He is not a created being. All that was made was made through Him, and apart from Him nothing was made that, ha- that has been made. But in the beginning, He was. It's a different word than made. The Son was not made. The Son was not created. But through the Son, through the Word, all things were made. And so we have our very existence, our life, through the Word. But not just our physical life, also our spiritual life. You see, God knew that our world through sin was plunged into darkness. That we were lost in the darkness and death of our sin. And so the Word who was light, the Word who was life, came into our world. That we might not stay in our darkness and that we might see the true light. And so find true life. So we believe in the divine life-giving Word. We believe in the Word who is true light. We see this in verses 6-13. through 13. We read verse 4, In Him was life, and the Word was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is a light that can't be extinguished. It's not a light that's going to be defeated. He's not a light, I should say. The Word is the light who will never be defeated. He will never be put out. And he was a light who was promised by God and who was predicted by a witness. God appointed a special man named John. This is John the Baptist. It is not John the Apostle. But John the Baptist's mission sent by God was to go and to tell people, there's the light. Look to the light. Believe in the light. Here's the light. Look to him. He came as a witness, verse 7, to bear witness about the light that all might believe in the light through Him. John verse 8, we're told, was not the light. John's job was not to say, look at me. His job was to say, look at the light. His job was not to make John the Baptist great. It was to say, there is the light that has come into the world. Look to Him. And we'll see Him do that in John's earthly ministry next week. So the light was shining in the darkness, The messenger had come to point people to the light. And so, verse 9, the true light, the Word, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world. And the world was made through Him. The whole world owed its existence to Him. He'd come into the light. The messenger had come to point people to the light. And so we might expect this would be the beginning of a beautiful story where the world that was made through the light leaves the darkness and comes to know Him. And yet, ruin of ruin, tragedy of tragedies, that is not, by and large, what happened. Verse 10, He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, yet the world did not know Him. The world which was made through the true light did not recognize the true light, did not embrace the true light, did not receive the true light. In fact, those who should have most known who He was, those who had been given the Old Testament, 
those who had seen the works of God in their own history, the people of Israel, by and large, also rejected him. A prophet is without honor in his hometown, and so the true light was rejected by some of those who should have been most ready to hear, who should have most easily seen. And we read verse 11, He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. As we'll see in John's Gospel, many of those who knew their Bibles backwards and forwards, many of those who should have known who the true light was because they'd been given promises that this true light would come, they were some of the harshest and strongest opponents of the true light. There will be a recurring theme in John's Gospel is how John comes and many of the most religious, many of the most knowledgeable about the Scriptures were the most blind to his presence. So the true light came into the world which was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and yet his own did not receive him. But it's not an entirely dark story. The light was not overcome by the darkness. There was hope because there were some who did receive him. And to all who did receive him, verse 12, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. To those who did see the Word made flesh, who did see the true light, and who embraced Him, there was entrance into the family of God. There is new birth as God's children. That is why John writes this Gospel. Because he wants those who read it, both in the first century and us today, to see the true light. To see Jesus, the Word made flesh. And to believe in Him to trust in Him, to welcome Him into our lives. Because to all who do receive Him, He gives the right to become children of God. If you're here this morning and you do not yet know Jesus, if you look to Him in faith, if you believe in Him and welcome Him, the true light, you can become part of the family of God. You can be welcomed into the people of God. You can be reborn as a child of God through the true light. And friends, if you're here and you believe in Jesus, know that this is who you are. You are children of God who have embraced the true light and you belong to Him. John writes why? So that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing we might have life through His name. He wants us to see the true light. He wants us to believe in the true light and to enter into the life of the family of God. So if you're here this morning, believe in Jesus. Look to the true light, the Word made flesh. Do not remain in the darkness of death. To all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Not children born of blood, verse 13. It's not because we have a particularly good physical pedigree. One of the tragedies we'll see in John's Gospel is that there were many who were descended from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, many who were ethnically Israelite, who rejected Jesus, and they figured they were good because they had the right family tree. It says, We are children born not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. It is not through man's will that we become children of God. No, it is the will of God Himself. And so, if we belong to Jesus, we belong to Him because of what God has done. 
And if we know those we love who do not yet know Jesus, let us pray that God by His will would make them His children too. So we believe in the divine, life-giving Word, the Word who is God and who brings life. We believe in the true light, the one who came into the world and was rejected, and yet who found some who He brought to Himself. And lastly, we see verse 14-18 through 18, that this divine, life-giving Word, this true light, is the incarnate Word, the One who is glorious. Verse 14-18, through 18, John writes, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. John here says that the Word became incarnate. Now, if you've grown up around the church or maybe around Christians, maybe you've heard the word incarnate or incarnation thrown around, and it's one of those kind of big ten-cent theological words, and you're like, I'm not really sure what that means, and it's sort of veiled behind sort of religious speak. But really, it's not this hidden, veiled idea. It is a deeply visceral word. It comes from this passage. There we read that the word became flesh. The word incarnate is from the Latin for in, n in, and carne, meat. How many of you like Mexican food? I like it. How many of you have had carne asada? It's from the Latin word carne, meat, asada, grilled. There's this root word meat, comes from the word for flesh. And so what John is saying, which is pretty profound, is that the word who was in the beginning, through whom all was created, took on flesh, took on a physical body, that He came and dwelt among us. He was in meat, if you will, in flesh. And that the incarnate Word was no one else but Jesus Christ. We, with the church, for thousands of years, confess that in the Word, the pre-existent divine nature was united with the human nature in one person, the Lord Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man. That is what the church has confessed for centuries. And that is what we believe, that in Jesus we see the Word made flesh, fully God, fully man. And that in Jesus we see the glory of God in a way that we could never see it before, in a way that we can never better see it. We read verse 14 that the Word became flesh, and here's why that's important. The Word became flesh, John said, and He dwelt among us. And so we have seen His glory. John says, the Word took on flesh and walked, and we saw Him. He came to us. He lived among us. And we have seen in Him the glory of God. Glory, verse 14, as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John here is saying, in Jesus, God has come to us. In Jesus, we see the glory of God. That is the focus of verses 14 through 18. And John makes this clear because he's making a whole bunch of allusions to the Old Testament. In verse 14, the ESV says, the word became flesh in meat, and dwelt among us. The word translated dwelt there is literally tabernacled among us. Now, an ancient Israelite would have known that that was a reference to the Exodus, where God's presence 
dwelt among his people. But in the Old Testament, God's presence was sort of behind a veil, if you will. He was among them, but he was in a tent. And there were very strict rules as to who could go in and be in God's presence, under what conditions, and at what times. Because there was a great danger. God was holy, and we were unholy. And so you couldn't just go and look at God, or you'd die. You couldn't go and behold God's glory fully, or you would be destroyed. Even Moses, the great leader of Israel, wasn't able to look directly at God. There's this story in Exodus, in Exodus 30, that John is sort of riffing on in this section, where Moses wants to see God. He says, God, show me your glory. And God says, Moses, you've been a very good servant, so I'm going to let you see sort of the afterglow of my glory, but you can't look directly at me or you'll die. And so I want you to find this cleft in the rock. He shows him a cleft in the rock. I want you to stand and look at the cleft of the rock, and then I'll pass behind you, and you'll see kind of the afterglow as I go past. But you can't look directly at me or you'll die, Moses. I'm too holy, and you are too unholy. And so, in the Old Testament, there's this consistent theme that no one was really able to look directly at God. And John draws on that in verse 18 when he says, no one has ever seen God. But he says, now we have seen God. We have seen the Word in the flesh. Verse 14, the Word became flesh. He tabernacled among us. He came to us. And we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. He says, we couldn't look directly at God in the Old Testament. We couldn't behold Him in all His splendor because He was too great for us. But God loved us so much that the Word, the divine second person of the Trinity, took on flesh, lived among us, and so now we can see His glory. And we see His glory in Jesus, who He is. And so John says, John the Baptist is nothing compared to Jesus. Verse 15, we have this quote where John the Baptist says, yeah, Jesus is number one, not me. He may have come after me chronologically in terms of his earthly ministry, but he was in existence long before I was. And then John goes on to say 16, that when we see God's glory, we have received grace upon grace. He says we have received something that those in the Old Testament had never received. We've received something even better. He says they received grace through the giving of the law through Moses. But that was God speaking through an intermediary. Moses was a great figure in the Old Testament, but he was a messenger boy. John says we've received an even greater grace on top of that grace. They, in the past, received the grace of the law through an intermediary, but now, verse 17, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Not were delivered by Jesus Christ, not were relayed to us, through an intermediary messenger. He says, now in Jesus, God Himself has come to us. Now in Jesus, grace and truth, the qualities of God, have come to us through Jesus Christ in the flesh. They weren't relayed to us like a telegram. They weren't relayed to us through an intermediary messenger. God Himself has taken on flesh, has come to us, and we have received grace. We have seen His grace and His truth through and in the person of Jesus Christ. And so John can say, verse 18, no one has ever seen God, but now the only God, it's a reference to the Word, 
who is at the Father's side, here we have the love of the Trinity, the Word has made the Father known. The Word has made God known to us. The Word has made the glory of God known to us in the incarnation, in the coming of Jesus Christ. And so it's really good news for us that Jesus came because in Jesus we see God in a way we never could otherwise. It's very good news for us that the Word became flesh because through Him grace and truth have come to us. And it's very good news for us because there's no other way that we can see God truly or rightly than through Jesus. No other religion, no other philosophy, not looking inward at ourselves, not even looking at nature. None of those things will show us the glory of God in the same way that looking at and beholding the person of Jesus Christ, the Word in meat, the Word made flesh, will do for us. So let us believe in the Word. Let us believe in the Word who is God, who brings life. Let us believe in the Word who is the true light that we might be children of God. Let us believe in the Word who took on flesh, who was incarnate, and who reveals the glory of God to us. And as we look at Him, may we find life. May we see Him more clearly. May we love Him more fervently. May we follow Him more faithfully. That is my prayer as we spend these next few months in the Gospel of John. That as John aims that we would see Jesus, that we would love Him, that we would believe in Him, the Word made flesh, and that by believing, we would have life through His name. Would you please pray with me? Our Father, we thank You for the Word, the second person of the Trinity, through whom we were made, through whom we have our being. We thank You for the Word, He who is light, who came into our darkness and brought us the light of life. We thank You for the Word made flesh, Jesus Christ, our Savior, the One through whom we behold Your glory, Father. Would You help us to see Him, to love Him, and through seeing and loving the Word, to see and love You, Father, to see and love the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We ask this in that name. Amen.